You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, hi there. Welcome to another Sunday online at Hope Church. My name's Tom. I lead the team at Hope, and it's great to have you with us. If you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we've been working through a series of messages in the book of Luke, which is one of the biographies of Jesus' life that we find in the Bible. It was written by a doctor called Luke, who was taking eyewitness accounts of those who had encountered Jesus in some way in their lives. And we've been seeing how Jesus has started to gather quite a following. Many people are following him around, listening to his teaching, seeing him do incredible miracles. And last week we saw that he had gathered his team Uh, He's chosen 12 that would be his apostles after he had gone, the ones that would be sent to take the message about him to the ends of the known world. And he's starting to preach this amazing sermon that's come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he's come towards the end of it, and that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to also travel into chapter 7 a little bit as well. But the sermon is going so well. People are gripped by what Jesus is speaking about. He's talking about a strange new people. Are people who would uh, live lives with values completely different to the world. They wouldn't be hankering after money and power and fame. They would be loving radically. They would love those who would persecute them. They would turn the other cheek when they were hit. They would be humble. They would be radically different people. They would be those that are rooted in Jesus, like trees rooted by a stream. They would be rooted in Jesus, bearing good fruit. And today we're picking up in chapter 6 and verse 46. And it seems like people are getting so into the sermon, people are getting so into the message that they're shouting out encouragement to Jesus. It's like that sometimes at Hope Church, although today I'm speaking to an empty room. But people are shouting out to Jesus, come on Jesus, this is great, preach it. Maybe they're shouting out amen, and someone in their enthusiasm shouts out, yes Lord. And Jesus turns to them and says this in verse 46. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. In a nutshell, Jesus is hammering home the point that he's just made about the trees and the fruit that they bear. Just as there's two kinds of trees, there's two kinds of builders. There's those who would build their house upon Jesus and what he's done and what he says. And there's those who, whilst they might admire Jesus, whilst they might even find some of the things he says intellectually interesting, they don't build their lives on him. They build on a different foundation. There's just two trees. There's just two types of builders. There's just two foundations on which you can build. And ultimately, the foundations are hidden until the storm comes. And we're weathering an almighty storm in our nation right now. In fact, every nation of the world is is weathering this storm. And perhaps we're, we're learning in some ways what our foundations are. 
we're learning that a firm foundation doesn't stop the storm from coming, but a firm foundation will hold firm throughout it. And Jesus is questioning them, are you just going to be entertained by truth? Are you just going to find me interesting or are you going to obey? Are you going to be enthusiastic about me and my ideas or are you going to build your life upon me? Listen, if if Jesus were not the Son of God, if he were not the eternally existing Son of God, this would be a terribly arrogant thing to ask of people. This would be an awful thing to ask people to do. Unless, of course, he is who he says he is, God with us. Unless he's the one given all authority in heaven and on earth. And perhaps even now, in this storm, God's being merciful to you. Perhaps even in this storm, he's allowing the false foundation on which you've built your life to be exposed. Perhaps he's showing you right now another foundation that is him. A foundation that cannot be shaken. Maybe your foundation before was temporary pleasures. Maybe it was getting wasted at the weekend. Maybe it was trying to sleep around as much as you possibly could. Maybe it was being the popular lad that made everyone laugh. Maybe it was being successful in business so that you could prove to your parents or you could prove to those whose opinion you care most about, you could prove that you've made it through having a great home, through having great holidays. Or maybe it was simply just trying to get out of the poverty that has gripped your family for generations. That was what you built your life around. That was the foundation on which you built. But maybe, just maybe during this storm, maybe as this world has been turned upside down, Jesus is showing you the foundation on which you've been building. And he's showing you that it's the wrong foundation, that it needs to be him instead. Maybe you've been building in such a way that you thought, as long as nothing goes wrong, it'll be okay. Maybe you've been living your life racking up debt and you've been thinking, as long as nothing goes wrong, I'll be okay. I'll be able to pay it back. Maybe you've been thinking, I'll I'll, I'll live for the weekend. I'll work hard. I'll I'll work my socks off, but I can live for the weekend. And now you're finding that there is no weekend because every day is the same. You've been building on the wrong foundation. Storms come. Things go wrong. And circumstances, they show us the foundation. And the foundation wobbles. And if the foundation is not Jesus, then the foundation will eventually collapse. Maybe you're observing the wobbling foundations of your life right now. And Jesus is pleading with you. Don't just give me lip service. Don't just build a Sunday schedule around me. Make me the rock on which you build everything. Don't just tip me 90 minutes on a Sunday. Don't just be inspired by me to do some good deeds here and there. Build everything on me, the solid foundation. Build your life on what I teach. He's pleading with you now. Build your life on my word. Build a Jesus-centered life. Build a Jesus-first life. Start anew. Knock it down and start again. I, I am famously bad at DIY. I am hopeless at DIY. And six years ago, when we first moved to Ipswich, I built a wardrobe in my girl's bedroom. It was a cheap, flat-pack wardrobe. And I, I kind of rushed ahead and tried to build it without doing the necessary preparation work, without reading the manual properly, without getting all the tools I needed. 
and it was so bad. It was already on about a 30 degree slant when it was finished. And we, it was like, we gave it a few weeks. And then my wife is very gracious, Sarah. She said to me, Tom, I think we need to buy a new wardrobe. In fact, I think we need to not get a cheap one. And I think maybe we should pay the extra 30 pounds and ask someone to build it for us. And listen, that wardrobe is still standing. I expect it will still be standing in 50 years. It's solid. It is absolutely brilliant. We scrapped it and we started again. And this time we allowed someone else to build it for us. You can start again today. You can start by giving your life to him. You can admit, I've been a failure at the way I've tried to build my life. I've, I've got it wrong. I've, I've, I've gone after these things and I found them to be unsatisfying. I found them to be empty. You can tell him you've screwed up and you will receive incredible grace. He's so gracious. God is so gracious and he longs for you to run to him and to say, I've messed up, but I now trust you. And we can make him the foundation. We must make him the foundation. He really does have great authority, as we're going to see as we read on in chapter 7. Now, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. And when the officer heard about Jesus... He sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and he even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. And I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And now when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Now, I want to take some time this week and next week to unpack this incredible story. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Luke's gospel account. It's quite remarkable. There's, there's no greater story of healing to be found in any of the gospels. Jesus doesn't even go to the house. He doesn't even see the man who is sick, and yet he gets healed. And I want to pull out three things today, and I want to pull out three things next week as we go into this story together. Now, we're introduced to this officer. He's a centurion. That means he has a 100 men at his command. And in a region which wasn't very populous, that made him the most important and powerful man in the region. He had slaves at his disposal. And not only is, is he powerful, he's a wealthy man. He's able to use his own money to build a synagogue for the Jewish people. Think of uh, a small church building that doubles up as a community hub. That's what you're looking at with a synagogue. This made him very popular with the people. That made him so popular because of his kindness. He had won great favor with the Jewish people. The Jewish people weren't fond of the Romans. They were an occupying force in their nation. And yet this centurion had found favor. 
So he's powerful, he's wealthy, and he's very popular. He seems to be building a great life. It seems like things are going very, very well for him indeed. And then the storm comes. A highly valued slave of his gets sick, very sick indeed, to the point where he's going to die. Now, we don't know if this slave was highly valued because he was just really good at his job. Maybe it was because he had become good friends with the centurion. We know that the centurion was a kind man, so it's, it's quite plausible that they had just become good friends. Even though it was a slave and a master relationship, they'd become good friends. And the centurion is clearly upset at his friend becoming so sick. A storm had come that the centurion did not see coming. That's the thing about storms. We don't see them coming and we're powerless to do anything about them. We can't stop them. The centurion, he realizes that he, he cannot do anything about it. Despite his great resources, he can do nothing about it. And some of you, you're in that place right now. You're, you're facing a storm. Storm is, is coming, it's demolishing some things, and you can't do anything about it. Maybe you're sick like this slave, and you're thinking, I don't know where to turn. Maybe you're like the centurion, and a loved one is in a dire situation, and your heart is burdened for them. Well, where does our centurion friend turn in a storm? He turns to Jesus. And yet he, he doesn't even approach him directly because Jews and Gentiles didn't really mix. He's clearly got some favor with the local Jews in his community, but he doesn't know Jesus. And he knows that it's not the done thing for Jews and Gentiles just to mix with each other. So he sends the Jewish elders to go and speak with him on his behalf. We've got here two foreigners in great need. We've got the Roman centurion, who was a foreigner, and we've got his slave, who was almost certainly a foreigner as well, as slaves would have been obtained as the Roman Empire expanded around the world. Luke is showing us here, as he's already done in previous chapters, and as he will go on to do in subsequent chapters, that Jesus has come for the outsider, that Jesus has come for the outcast, for the unlikely, for the, for the foreigners. This thing is going global. Jesus is the hope of the nations. Jesus loves all people. He's for all nations. He's for black and white and Asian. He's for old and young. He's for rich and poor. He has come to, to create a new people, a, a global people, and he will return for a bride that is multinational, multicultural, multigenerational. He's come to redeem people from their wrongdoing and their brokenness and their hopelessness to form a new people, a new international family. Jesus is the hope of the nations. Listen, at a time that the nations are looking to top universities and research institutions for the hope of a vaccine, as they're pinning their hopes on very clever and talented people, Jesus is still the hope of the nations. I expect you're praying for a vaccine as I am. It's right that we pray. It's right that we ask that God would aid these men and women in finding a safe vaccine that would be able to bring this crisis to an end. It's right that we pray that. I really believe that. But listen, Jesus always will be the hope of the nations. He's the true hope. Only him and what he's done for us through his spotless life, through his selfless death, through his mighty resurrection, only that is the hope that we really have. It's only in him that we place our hope. Let's, let's not get caught up in the minute details of everything. I've been uh, 
I've fallen foul of that in recent weeks, where I've, I've pinned my hopes on these things so much that I've, I've wanted to read news article after news article to try and somehow find a glimmer of hope, to somehow try and control the situation. When I cannot, even the most clever people in our nation cannot. Jesus is the one who's in charge. We don't have to be. Jesus is in control. We don't have to be. And this great prophecy that was made over Jesus when he was born, as Simeon saw Jesus for the first time, and he said, this child is going to be a light to the Gentiles. He's going to be a light to the nations. It's starting to come true as this centurion, this foreigner, discovers who Jesus is, that he is the hope of the nations. Hope Church, let me urge you, let us be praying like never before for the nations to turn their eyes to Jesus, to see him for who he really is, that he is the one in the highest authority. Let's read again verses 7 and 8. The centurion says this via his messengers, Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Listen, soldiers know a thing or two about authority. Without authority, an army will crumble. I've never met a service person who doesn't get this. They understand that if an army is going to function, there has to be an authority structure from the top down. And this centurion is himself in charge of a hundred men, and yet this centurion is answering to a soldier above him and a soldier above him, and ultimately to Caesar himself. This centurion understands that Rome is built on a chain of command. Someone at the top says something, and the ones at the bottom do it. The centurion says something, and his 100 men do it. That's because the centurion is backed by the authority of Caesar himself. And he understands something about Jesus, that Jesus is backed by the authority of the God of heaven and earth. And this centurion declares his confidence that Jesus is an almighty master and king, and that diseases, just like his soldiers, they have to obey. They will at once depart at the orders of Jesus. I wonder, have you recognized the authority of Jesus? Have you recognized it for yourself? Do you recognize him for who he really is? In John chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made. Through Jesus all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. All created through him and for him. Marvel at his authority. Gaze upon his authority. It's all been created through him and for him. We need to breathe in the truth that Jesus says something and it happens. He can command a storm to stop and the storm will stop. He only needs to say shh and the storm stops. He only needs to say one word and the centurion slave gets healed. There's not one thing in the universe that can talk back to Jesus. I remember a few months ago speaking to my five-year-old son, asking him to do something 
And he didn't obey straight away. And I said, listen, daddy's in charge. And he turned around and said, well, well, actually, Jesus is in charge, really, isn't he? And I didn't know whether to tell him off or to congratulate him on his great theology. But I was able to say, yes, Jesus is in charge. But in his word in the Bible, it says that mummy and daddy are in charge of the children. So you have to listen to what I say. Listen, there's nothing in all of creation that has the right to talk back to Jesus. There's nothing in all creation that has the right to say to Jesus, no, sorry, Jesus, I don't recognize you as being in charge. He can command things to happen and they happen. He's in all authority and the centurion recognizes it. This is what it means to build your life on the rock, to recognize Jesus for who he is, to recognize that he is in charge. And one day we're going to see him in all his glory, not as some defeated victim, but as an awesome victor, a mighty warrior on whose robe and on whose thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what we see, the picture of Jesus that we see in Revelation. He's mighty and powerful. This is the authority before which every knee will one day bow. The right response to Jesus, the highest authority, is the response that the centurion has. And what's his response? It's humility and faith. He demonstrates humility. The elders of the Jewish people, they kind of disrespect Jesus. They're they're kind of presumptuous. They say to him, Jesus, if anyone deserves this, it's him. He deserves you. He deserves what you have to offer. He deserves you to do him something. And yet the centurion, who was a good man, let's remember that. He was an honorable man. Even he recognizes that he's not worthy of Jesus coming into his home. Just get that for a moment. He's got Jesus on the way to his house. If I was the centurion, I'd be cleaning my house. I'd be getting my camera ready, ready to have a selfie with Jesus. That I'd be plastering all over social media. And yet as Jesus is on his way to the house, the centurion sends a message to Jesus. says, look, I'm not even worthy of you coming to my home. There's a humility when he he recognizes who Jesus is. He recognizes that, uh, you know what, I'm not good enough. Humility means that we know that in and of ourselves, we're, we're not good enough. There's no one good but God. Even honorable people like the centurion. There's no one good. There's no one truly perfect but God. We've got to throw ourselves on his grace. That's what humility does. There's an old song that says, we dare not trust the sweetest frame. That means we don't trust in the the good things that we might do. We don't trust in anything on this earth. We trust only in his name. We trust only in Jesus' name. Humility comes when we recognize Jesus for who he is. And and faith comes when we recognize his authority. Faith comes when we recognize his authority. Faith that we're going to dig into some more next week. Faith that would even amaze Jesus. Do you want to have a faith that amazes Jesus? Well, there's something to recognize here in the centurion. A humility and a faith that we can emulate. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
A right response to Jesus is humility and it's faith. It's trusting that Jesus can do all things, that nothing is impossible for him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's nothing impossible? There's nothing too hard for him? If you do, then let me ask you, what are you asking of Jesus? What are you asking him for? What are you bringing to him? This is what it means to make Jesus the rock on which you build your life. To recognize him for who he is and to make everything about him. To build everything upon him. He's the one in all authority. And yet this one in all authority once hung on a cross, naked, despised by the crowds, mocked, spat upon, soldiers pushing him around, slapping him and punching him. This one in all authority, humiliated in front of the crowds, numbered alongside scum, thieves either side of him, guys who, who literally got by by making other people miserable. Jesus numbered with them. And in his authority, at any moment, he could have spoken one word. All he had to do was to say, go. And legions of angels would have come down. Legions of angels that would have made Roman soldiers look pathetic could have come and destroyed everyone and taken Jesus down off the cross. And yet Jesus, in all authority, he hung there for you and I. Jesus, in all authority, the powerful one, the spotless one, in the place of sinners, the blameless one in the place of wrongdoers like you and I. He was there and it was the will of God. He was there taking the punishment for the wrongdoing of all humanity. He was there for you and I. And the Bible says that for those who believe in him, those who trust in him, those who receive him as Lord and Savior, God forgives and he gives the right to become children of God. That is glorious news. That we might lean on him. That we might trust in him. That we might come to build upon him. And we get the right to become children of God. Adopted into God's family. Let me urge you today to trust in Jesus. To take the free gift that he offers. To take it for yourself. Faith is, is the open hand that takes a free gift. And we would love for you to make that step today. I want to lead us in a prayer. And maybe you'd let us know somehow if you have made this step for yourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that we, when we're left to our own devices, we build all kinds of wrong things into our lives. We build on the wrong foundation. And today we recognize that you alone are the secure and solid foundation upon which we stand. Lord, we recognize today that it, when the storm comes, you are the only steady one. And we trust in you today. Lord, we scrap what we've been building and we start again with you as the cornerstone of our lives. Help us to recognize you for who you are. Help us in our week this week to remember you're in all authority. Nothing topples you from your throne. We trust in you. We give our lives afresh to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to have you with us. Tune in again next week. We're going to continue looking at this amazing faith that the centurion displayed. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.